Let's pray. Father, uh, uh, we do look forward tonight, God, to what you have for us. And I thank you once again, Lord, I thank you that you've recorded these 66 books for us. And you've written them down and you, God, you, you did it not just to put something down on paper, but God, you, you did it because you love us and because you wanna guide us and direct us. And so I do pray tonight as we, as we start this study, God, that, that you would bless this time. And that, Lord, most of all, as we read this, once again, kind of, uh, we looked at James. It was kind of hard uh, on a weekend. And tonight, maybe some of this is a, a little bit difficult, Lord, as we work through it and, and uh, hear maybe some things that kind of hit us head on. But, Lord, I do pray that most of all, that it would just cause us to draw close to you. I know that you raised this man up during that time for those people to speak directly to them so that, God, so that they would change and be drawn to you, not to put them down, not to make them feel horrible, not to, not to get into awkward uh, situations, but so that they could see what's going on, understand what to change, and make those changes. So, Lord, I pray the same for us tonight. Give us ears to hear. And Lord, work in our hearts, work in our lives, and draw us close to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been here with us any length of time, you know that I like to joke around and call this guy the Italian prophet, right? Malachi, the Italian prophet. And, you know, it's just one way, one way to kind of remember him. And it's spelled that way. But anyway, Malachi, the interesting thing is Malachi was the last prophet to speak to Israel, and he's the last of the Old Testament books. They, they put him at the end, and we usually call the, that group of books the minor prophets, and sometimes people, and I like to bring this up, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I don't read the minor prophets very much, and you know, it's that part of your Bible that's real dusty, and if you open it up, like, stuff comes flying out, and listen, they're not minor because they were less than, and you know, like they're the minor leagues, and then there's the major leagues, they're minor because they're shorter, so I want us to remember that and, you know, that, that we understand they're just as important. Malachi is just as important as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel. And Malachi is speaking to a group of people. And, you know, there's some discrepancy on exactly when, when he was on the scene. Was it, was it during Nehemiah's uh, time? Was it just right after Nehemiah's time? I, I, I'm the one, I believe it's during the time of Nehemiah, that's why I put him in here. We did Ezra, we're gonna shift to Nehemiah, and I believe that uh, Malachi was hanging out during that time. It's interesting, and, and we'll find out, the things that Malachi are, is addressing are the very things that Nehemiah was dealing with as governor. So I think they were going on. I think uh, Malachi was the spiritual part and uh, 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 Nehemiah was the governor, was kind of the, the legal part. So Malachi is addressing these people on, on maybe we could just say three s distinct things. The priests were blowing it. The leaders of Israel were, were horrible. And he's gonna call them out. And once again, I want us to understand, he doesn't call them out just to make them feel bad or, or get into that. He calls, God calls us out on our sin, so we'll change, so we'll repent. He's a God, and then, and then they were messed up as we left off even in Ezra. And it's interesting, it's, it's less than, I think, 75 years, maybe just over 75 years between Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And we left off with Ezra. What were they doing? They were putting away their foreign wives. What are they doing in Malachi and, and Nehemiah? Dealing with foreign wives again. And more importantly, divorce, divorcing their Israel wives, their, their, their wives. So there's that. And then the big thing that they were doing and the major thing is they were neglecting God. They were neglecting the offering, the tithe to God, and that's where he starts, and he kind of, you know, that theme runs through the entire book of Malachi, and the idea is this. If you really love me, God's saying, then why do you treat me that way? And I love the idea with Malachi is, Malachi, it's a conversation, and I kind of like that because sometimes I, you know, I tell you guys I like to talk all the time and I like to have conversations with myself and I'm kind of looking at God kind of having a conversation with himself talking to these people. So Malachi is that guy. Now, it starts out, and verse one's really kind of short and to the point, and that's kind of Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, Malachi means messenger or my messenger, which is sort of interesting when we think about the priests were supposed to be messengers of God to the people and represent the people to God. Now comes this guy on the scene, and we don't know anything about him. And it's funny how some people go, well, we don't know enough about him. Can we really trust him, and et cetera. Hey, when somebody, the guy who delivers you your mail, do you know his background, where he come from, and his whole genealogy? Do you tell him, hey, before I read these letters, I want to know everything about you? No. Or the guy who drops off your Amazon package today, I guess, more, uh, uh, is more culturally relevant, right? The guy who dumps that little smiley thing at your front door, do you, do you ask him, hey, I don't know you, so I'm not taking this? You don't care about the messenger, do you? No, not so much. Well, the same with Malachi. Listen, it's not important who Malachi is. It's important who was sending him and who was speaking. And I think, I think it's on purpose that he's brief and he's short and he doesn't tell us I'm the son of so-and-so or whatever. Hey, I'm Malachi and I have the burden of the Lord. Now, as he says he has a burden of the Lord, doesn't mean he's like carrying a burden. It means he's got this message that's overwhelming and weighting him down. So that's the introduction of this guy, kind of a, kind of a quick and to the point. And then... The beginning of verse two, I'm gonna break verse two down uh, quite a bit because I, I want us to, to uh, kind of think through this. Verse two starts out with God speaking to them and says, I have loved you, says the Lord. It's interesting that the Lord has to tell them that he loves them. They should know it. And, you know, we should know that God loves us. And just like Israel should know, and we're gonna see in a moment, we should know that God loves us because he's shown that he loves us. He's demonstrated that love in so many ways, especially in our generation. The greatest way is he sent his son to die for our sins. But here's the thing, when you and I get in that mood, you know that mood you get in? And you're like pouting, and you're having that pity party, and you go, nobody loves me. I don't even think God loves me. You know, the Holy Spirit should just kick us right in the pants and say, what do you, why, would you, why would you question God's love when he demonstrated his love to you? But when we don't feel it and we don't have that emotion, we think that God doesn't love us anymore. And God says, hey, Israel, 
I love you. I, I, I have demonstrated, and, and, and you can read Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to refer to Deuteronomy a couple times. I'll give you the chapters, but you can read the whole book tonight and definitely get a good night's sleep if you do that. So, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God expresses his love over and over in that chapter and expresses again why they should love him back. Israel should love him back because of what he's done for him. And then, you know, in Deuteronomy, you got that. And then you have a thousand years of God's demonstration to his love of Israel. So he shouldn't have to say it. Here's what, what blows my mind is here, God has to tell them he loves them. Why? Because they're in that place where they don't think he loves them. So then the next part of verse two then says, you say, in what way have you loved us? Now, see, that's, that's the thing that I see going on today. People say, if God, have you ever heard this? If God is a God of love, why then, and fill in the blank. That's bogus, and especially as believers. As believers, we should never say that. Now, this is Israel saying, well, how do we know you loved us? You know, in what way have you loved us? Well, again, God has demonstrated his love for us in many ways, and he had demonstrated his love to them. Isn't he the one that made them a nation? Isn't he the one that pulled them out of Egypt and delivered them and took them for 40 years in the wilderness and, and made sure they were okay, made sure they had food? Do you ever think about in those 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out? None of that happened. How many of you have a pair of shoes 40 years old? Not very many of us. Some of us are saying, dude, I'm not even that old. But think about, think about the way God has demonstrated. And greater than that, where are these people that Malachi's talking to? They're in Jerusalem. Where were they just a mere 120 years before that? They were in captivity. And they say, in what way have you loved us? Not only did I take care of you for a thousand years, not only did I preserve you while you were in captivity, but I brought you out of captivity and now you're here in your homeland. You have built the wall, you built the temple, you're in a safe place and you have to ask, in what way have I loved you? So you kind of get the idea why God is having this conversation with them. And then it goes on and says, and he begins to say, answer them, and it kind of cracks me up when God answers us too, right? He doesn't, he doesn't owe us an answer. And so he answers him, what was not Esau, Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now there's a statement that people get upset about, right? And people are like, you want to fight about that? You want to argue about that? And people just hate that. And hey, it's not just here. It's in Genesis chapter 25. It's in Romans chapter 9. It's repeated several times. And people want to, want to just get angry about it. I love what I, I, uh, Charles Feinberg, one of the great scholars of the minor prophets, I love what he's said. And then others have repeated it and said it. Like people get upset that God hated Esau. I'm a little confused as to why God loved Jacob. <laughs> Have you looked at the guy? Have you seen what Jacob did? And I think, I think more of us should go that direction than get all freaked out. Now, there's a couple things that, that I think we need to clarify and talk about. And I don't, I don't, I'm not one that, I'm, I'm not trying to defend God because God is God and he doesn't need defending but one thing I think we need to understand, you can't have one without the other. Here's what I'm saying. You can't have love and that emotion without 
hate and that emotion. They're opposites. And if, you, if you're just in the middle, you don't have either one. And so I think that's important for us to understand. Now, is he talking about and using hate as a comparative thing? In other words, remember in Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter, uh, chapter seven, where God uh, asks us again, how are we doing? Remember in Matthew chapter seven, you say these things, but they're not true. And, but I, well, that's not the one I was thinking of more. I was thinking more when, when God says in Luke that if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't love me. Now, was he telling us to hate our moms and dads and our families? No, he was saying compared, compared to your love for me, that should look like hatred. And I believe that's a little bit here, but also Esau became the nation Edom, and God, when you look at Genesis chapter 25, when you look at Romans chapter nine, and when you even look here, he's talking more about nations than he is the individuals. And the nations, listen, Edom was a horrible, horrible nation. And it was the reason why God would reject them and feel that way about them. So I don't have a huge problem. I read this and, and I kind of get it. And then he goes on and explains, look what he says. He says, but Esau have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of wilderness, even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished and we will return and build this desolate, or, or build the desolate place. Places, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall call the, uh, the territory of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord, uh, the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. What is he letting them know? Here's the interesting thing. When Babylon came in and wiped out Israel and wiped out Jerusalem and took them captive, he also wiped out Edom and it was gone. Now here's what the Lord's trying to get them. What was the question? In what ways have you loved us? Right, that was the question. How, is, how have you loved us? And he says, you need to know something. Number one, I loved you because I chose you when you were born as a nation. I chose that I was gonna take care of you for these thousand years. And then also you need to look around. You're back in Jerusalem. You have a wall, you have a temple. Where's Edom? They're not back. They're not there. Look around and now, now tell me that I don't love you. Tell me that I don't provide for you and take care of you. And I think that's important for you and I to realize when we're feeling beat up and we're feeling like God's not on our side and, and you know, we wanna, we wanna go and we wanna, you know, eat some worms and feel all bad about ourselves. We need to understand and look at where we're at. Often, Gainel and I will sit together and just be amazed at where our lives are at because of God and what God has done in our lives. And it's great just to sit and think about that. And you know, I think it's more important when things are going haywire and nothing seems to be going right to just stop and say, look where I'm at. How did I even get here? How did this even happen? And so that's what the Lord is telling them. You think I don't love you? Well, look around, at the, look around where Edom's at. And they're gone, and yet you're here. So now he's laid that out. Now, now he's going to get to the point of what they're doing and the way they're treating him. In verse six, 
A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So here's what, here's what the Lord is saying. Naturally, and some people were saying today that doesn't happen, but I don't think so. Naturally, even, even in the world, the way we're made up because we're made in God's image, the norm is to respect your mother and father. It's a norm. Now, I'm not saying that every kid does that and every kid does it right, but, but that's the way we're made up. That's how God built us, and it is one of the commandments, but that's how he put us together. And he says, hey, he goes, listen, a son honors his father, and you call me, because he's talking to Israel, he's talking to these priests, and he says, you call me father? Then where's my respect? Why aren't you respecting me? You call me your master? You call me Lord? Then again, why aren't you demonstrating that as, as you know, we interact with each other? And he says, hey, you priests, notice what he says, you priests despise my name. So here's what's going on that to me is extremely difficult and extremely bad for them. The leadership is taking the people astray. And I've mentioned it several times and it's, it's really a burden on my heart in our generation that I'm seeing young pastors come in that are leading people astray, that are bringing in that. And you know, some people, some people would say, well, you know, we at Calvary, we're not very respectful of the Lord because you've got on jeans and kicks as you're teaching the Bible and you shouldn't be dressing that way. Hey, I don't think the way we dress is how we, other than modesty, but I don't think the way we dress, if we wear a three-piece suit or jeans, is, is the respect to the Lord. I believe it's how we live. And here's the thing, the priests, the leadership, were leading the people astray by how they were living, what they were doing. And the Lord says, you guys, I love it, man. He calls them out. You guys are the one. He's not talking to the people. He's talking to the priests. You guys are the one who despise me. And then I love it. And the Lord says, so you say, how do we despise you? And isn't that kind of how we are? Whenever we get caught, we kind of like try and turn it around, right? God says, hey, you're just, what do you mean? We love you. We love you, Lord. How do we despise you? Well, God's going to show them. And listen carefully, I think God's gonna show us. As I taught last weekend and we were in James, I said James kind of applies to all of us. I think a little bit of chapter one of Malachi applies to all of us in some way. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't just push it aside and stuff. Hey, God is challenging his people to be his people. He's challenging them to, hey, you're calling me? You're calling me Lord? You're calling me father? Then let's get real about it because you guys are despising me. Because they're not, you're, not, you're not doing what you're saying and you may fool other people. Here's what I found out. We can fool other people. It's hard to fool God. And he's saying, you're despising me. But how? And some of us even tonight, you might be saying, I would never despise God. Well, he's gonna show. Listen what he says to them. How are we despising, or how are we despising your name? Verse seven, 
you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible? Here's what he's saying. You defile me by what you offer me. Now, we don't bring sacrifices, right? We don't have to bring the, you know, the, the lambs and the food and all of that. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because of the grace of God, right? But what did Jesus, what, is, what are we taught in the New Testament? Listen carefully. We're taught that we are the sacrifice. In Romans, we're told that we offer ourselves on the altar. And we might say, but how are we defiling you? Well, you tell me you're gonna serve me, but you always say, and you have an excuse, well, Lord, I'll really get serious with you when I retire. Or I'll get serious with you when the kids are growing. Or I'll get serious with you when, when this happens. But until then, I have to think for myself and I have to do these certain things. So you're holding back. And, and here's what I think, you know, and, and I'm getting that age, so I can kind of say this. You know, old people aren't as valuable as younger people. And here's what we're saying. God, when I'm old and decrepit and can't do anything else, I'll be yours. You can have all of me. Now we're kind of laughing, but I want us to think about it because that's exactly what he's busting them on. He's saying, here's what you guys do. You bring me your old, decrepit, worn out junk. You give me animals that nobody else would want. And now you're saying, but we love you, Jesus. Hmm. How are we doing in that area of our lives? Because I think that should be a challenge for all of us. And I'm looking around and I see a few people, you know, gray-headed like me, but you, you know, you're still moving. You can offer yourself. And we need to ask ourselves, are we, are we a little bit like Israel in Nehemiah's day and Malachi's day? And he, he, says, he says, hey, the food you bring on my altar is horrible. Verse eight, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, don't you love that? Hey God, I got a blind animal. He's doing me no good. He keeps walking into the wall, so I'm gonna give him to you. And, and he goes, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame, is that not evil? I love it, man. Here's what they're doing. They're giving all of their horrible stuff that they can't use, the animals they can't use, they're giving those to God. Well, whoopee dingo. And that's what some of us do. We give God all the leftover. I hear people say, well, I'll give to God, you know, after I pay all of my bills and get everything else taken care of, he can have what's left over. Oh, that's a big blessing to God. That's really showing you love him. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your bills. But you know what I'm saying. And he's going, that's what you're doing to me. I always love it when uh, we used to do mission work and you'd get with missionaries and they had the missionary barrel. And some of you have experienced this and you get all the old clothes. Nobody puts new clothes in the missionary barrel. Like you buy yourself new clothes and you give God the old clothes. That's not very nice. Why don't you go buy new clothes, give those to God and you keep the old clothes? Well, because they're my clothes, that's why. I'm gonna wear those funky things. That's what missionaries are supposed to wear. They're supposed to look grody and terrible. I'm supposed to look good. 
So God says, you bring me your blind, you bring me your lame. And then this is my, this is my favorite thing. And hey, we can just like go for it tonight because we're here, so I'm gonna do it. He says, look at the middle of verse eight. This is perfect timing too, perfect time of year. Offer them to your governor. Those of you who cheat God with your finances, do you cheat the IRS? Hmm, no, I would never do that. Why? Because they'll put me in jail. Oh. Well, why don't you offer to your governor what you would offer to God? And again, at Calvary, we're not big on talking about giving and talking about what, you know, what we need to do. And, and you know, I've, I've mentioned it several times. People ask me, how much should I give? As a believer, how much should I give? And you guys know my answer by now, right? You should give everything. Just empty your checking account. Give it all to God. And some of you are going, dude. And then they say, can I ask Pastor Jack? I go, yeah, you can ask him. Go for it. Because that's what I believe you should give. Listen, everything should be God's. And you should be thankful for what he lets you keep. But we do the opposite, right? Well, God, here you can have this much. And then people ask me all kinds of questions about giving and, and how we should do it. Now, listen, I, I, and I'm using the word giving rather than tithe. Because tithe is an Old Testament thing. And I, I get that. We're not supposed to, and we're not supposed to tithe. And by the way, Tithe means 10%, but if, if you check out the Old Testament tithe, it was about 30%. It's kind of like the IRS is going to take so much and then they keep tacking other things on and you get more and more and more. Well, that's kind of what God did to Israel. You tithe this and then you do this and then you give this. And it was about 30% when they're done. How would you like 30%? How would you like our church to say, you know what, we're going to take 30% of your wages? Some of you guys are getting real nervous. It's cool. We're not going to give. We're not going to. We're not going to come in and do those things. But what are you giving to God? And I'm not talking about just finances, although I think that says something. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your abilities. And if we gave to our job and the government the way a lot of us give to God, number one, we wouldn't have a job anymore because we'd get fired. Number two, the IRS would come and lock us up. And so I think, listen, I think we need to hear what Malachi's saying because what is he saying? You say you love me, but here's what you're doing to show you don't. And you need to think about it. Again, I don't think Malachi is saying, now all of you, you know, you're doomed to hell for doing this. No, he's saying, here's where you're at. Look at where you're at. Isn't the word of God supposed to be a mirror and look at our lives and we can see where we're at? So listen, he says that. And then he says, offer those to your governor. And then he asks them, would he be pleased with you? And would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Man, God like just hammers them, right? Now, I don't know how Malachi exactly delivered this. And I often think of Malachi and, and him in the midst of that and saying those things and those people. I mean, you know, when you, and, and I can even feel it here. When you start talking about money, people get real uptight. It's like, there he goes, talking about money, man. <laughs> I remember when we were first saved, the pastor of the church we were wanting to go to, wanted, he asked if he could come and visit us. And I went, that's weird. Why does he want to come and visit me? 
And here's what I told Gaynell. He wants our money. That's what he wants. He's going to come and make us sign some kind of paper thing. We got to be careful. But make sure you put the Bible out on the coffee table. You know, after studying the word for years, here's what I know. God's not broke. He doesn't need your money. Then why should I give? Because my Bible says it's an act of worship. It's a demonstration of your love towards him. Listen, he's not like, oh man, if those guys don't give, I'm not gonna eat tomorrow. God's fine. It's you that giving helps. It's you that gets changed by your giving. And that's what God is trying to explain to them. Listen, you do this, you're saying this, and it's destroying you. Well, he goes a little bit further. Look at verse nine. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, listen, now you want, you want us to go to God for you, but you don't want to change. You've got to change. It's not about just saying things and just you've got to change. And the only one that's going to change you, we learned Sunday, is God, the Holy Spirit, working in your life and changing you. So then I love this verse 10 he says who is there even among you who would shut the doors here's what God's saying in verse 9 he starts out entreat the Lord in verse 10 he starts out shut the doors here's what he's saying instead of doing what you're doing shut this thing down quit coming to the temple quit pretending quit acting like everything's okay let's turn off the lights let's blow out the candles let's shut the door and let's quit doing this because it's a fraud, it's fake, it's not good. Now I read that and I get shook up a little bit inside. I think, man, if God saw them and told them that, I wonder what he's saying to me. I'm not saying you guys, to me. What is he saying to me about the way I act and the things I do? And he's saying, shut the door? Quit being a phony. Quit being a fake. Stop it. That's how much God loves them. Now, think about what we're looking at. A lot of these people were in exile. They came out of that. They finally got a temple. And here's what the Lord says. Close it down. And I believe the Lord would say that about a lot of facilities that call themselves churches. Turn out the lights, shut the door, and go home. Because what you're doing is not worshiping God. What you're doing is worshiping self in the guise of worshiping God. So he tells them, hey, shut the door, close the door, quit it. And he says, so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. Hey, don't do this and it not mean anything and it not be real. And he says to them, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. Better not to do that than to do that with a phony heart. And here's the whole thing, and I believe this sincerely. It's better for you not to give to God than to give to God and think now he owes you something because you gave him a couple bucks. That's, that's silly. And he says, stop it, it's in vain. Once again, you should give 
Doesn't 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says we should give and we should give hilariously? I think giving should be fun. We should enjoy giving. And we should be laughing and having a good time. I've shared with you guys many times before when I, I went to a, 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 a black church and, and uh, was doing a pottery presentation. And, and, you know, pastors notice things. When you go to church, you look around, especially a different church. And they got ready for the offering. And these guys had some pretty large, like, like, basket, like waste can things. And I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. How are you going to get those up and down the aisle? You know, how do you pass those around? That's, that's, you know, logistically you start thinking those things as a pastor. This is interesting. I got to see what they do. And you guys, a lot of you know the story. The two guys came up front and everybody got up, danced down the aisle. They would go around that way if they were over here. Everybody go down, and they would dance down the aisle and give their money. Woo! I got in line. And I was with a couple guys and they go, seriously, you're going to do this? And I go, oh, you bet I am. This is fun. And that's how giving should be, right? It shouldn't be like, you shouldn't be writing, you know, if you write a check, you shouldn't be, take it. Or if you text, you're like, just, it's done. You should enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it, shut the door, shut it down, and walk away. Because it's in vain. You need to understand it's in vain. So God is calling them out, and I believe calling us out. And then he says, listen, all of this, look at verse 11. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. You and I are supposed to represent God to this world around us. And if we got that sour look, and we're mad, and we're angry about things, and we're not expressing a love for our God, do you think the world is like, the world's going yeah I want that not we're to be drawing the world in not pushing them out and that's what they were doing he says hey you're supposed to be the the light and here's what I kind of love verse 11 is also kind of a two-edged sword here's what he's saying whether you do it or I do it on my own I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles so Israel get it together right get it together and change because here's what I know God can do just fine without me. Like it wasn't like forever, for all of the time of creation, God was waiting for Pat Lazovich to come on the scene and he finally went, yes, now we can go forward. And when I'm gone, things will go just as good, maybe even better than when I was here. We need to understand that. And he says, hey, I can be a light to the Gentiles either through you or without you. But you need to know from the rising of the sun till it's going down, I'm gonna be a light to the Gentiles. Doesn't that make you wanna get involved? That's like me, man. Here's what, here's what I'm thinking, not without me, you're not gonna do that, right? I'm gonna get in. And so, so the Lord tells them that and then he says in verse middle of verse 11, in every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, not like the ones you guys have been giving, a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. They're gonna get it, they're gonna do it right, even if you're not, but you, verse 12, but you profane it. Listen, God's not gonna let go of this, is he? You profane it, he says, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. Here's what they're saying. It's so hard. It's so hard to serve the Lord. I'm so weary. I'm so tired. When I hear people in ministry say that, here's what I tell them. 
then quit. People have asked me, because I'm getting there, when are you gonna retire? And I tell them, I don't know, because I love what I'm doing. And I have a few things out there. Listen, I have some close friends, and I would even tell all of you guys, because you're part of this. If I start like being weird up, well, weirder. <laughs> like if I, if, if I start not making sense, then you need to tell me, Pat, it's time to quit. I have some friends that I've asked, listen once in a while, if you see me starting to like lose it and not do things, and I'm not talking about, ooh, I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about getting to the place where I'm not really teaching the word of God, I need to quit. But here's what I know, I love what I'm doing. I never, on Thursday mornings, I don't get up and go, oh man, it's Thursday, ay, 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 those people. I gotta meet with them, they're gonna come, what am I gonna do? I love Thursdays, I love Saturday, I love Sunday. But these priests, they were going, oh, you brought another stinking bull. You gotta cut this thing up, and it's so hard. Do you hear what God, and that's not honoring God. Years ago, somebody taught me this. And it's something good, even if you're volunteering to remember. You don't have to do what you're doing. You get to do what you're doing. And when you wake up and you go, I get to do this today, changes everything. And these guys are going, I'm gonna cut up another bull. And it's blind besides that. We gotta lead it up here. And the other one we gotta carry up here because he's lame and stupid people. That's what they, so he says, hey, oh, what weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And... You bring, listen to this, it gets even worse. You bring the stolen. Who steals to give to God? Like, do not rob a bank and bring the money here. Like, you keep it. It's like they stole. He says it's stolen. The stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? So it's kind of heavy, right? He's laying everything out. And then he ends it with this. He says, but cursed be the deceiver who has, listen to this, this is the one that might get our hearts, who has in his flock a male, and it's really nice, and he takes a vow, but he sacrifices to the Lord that which is blemished. Do you hear what he says? Cursed be that guy who has this beautiful, beautiful animal, and this funky one. And he goes, God, you get the funky one. I'm keeping the good one. It's kind of like the guy who wanted to give to God, and he took all of his money and he said, okay, God, and he threw it up in the air and he said, you keep what you want and the rest will come down. Yeah, that's how some of us act, right? And we're just there and he says, hey, he goes, curse be that person. He says, for I am a great king. Is your God a great king? We sang those songs. We sing them tonight, right? Our God is great, and yet we don't want to, we don't want to give ourselves to him too much. We don't want to. He can take a little bit of us, but not too much. And then, you know, especially when we're younger, we, when we're older, he can take all of us because we don't care because we're barely walking and barely breathing, and that's okay. But, but man, when we're young, and, and he says, listen, man, am I a great king? I love that. I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Is that our God? That's my God. I remember the day I decided, I'm all in, God. 
Not, not the day I was saved. I mean, I think I was all in when I got saved, and I believe that, but I remember the day when I said, okay, this is it. I'm going for it. I've never regretted that. Never regretted that. And I'm not saying everybody should be in a ministry position where, you know, quote, you're full-time or whatever, but what are you doing for God? How much are you giving him? Again, not just monetarily, although I think that's important for you, especially if you struggle with that. If you're struggling with that, give a little bit more. Let go of a little bit more. See what happens. But listen, not just monetarily, ourselves, our time. So we do need help in the information center. <laughs> we do need help in the kids' ministry. So, you know, perfect message for that, right? And you guys get it on Thursday night, and most people here on Thursday nights are involved in ministry, so it's kind of crazy. But listen, I want us to ask ourselves, let's be real. Let's pretend, go home tonight, and just read this last part of, of Malachi again, starting in verse 7, and just read it to yourself. You just read it. Stand in front of a mirror and read it to yourself, and just see how you do. And most importantly, ask God to examine you and see where you're at. And you know what? Let him, let him change you and move you. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do get ready to uh, leave tonight, I do pray, God, I pray that your word would impact every single one of us. And I think especially of those of us who are involved right now, if, if we've kind of gotten to the place where we've gotten bitter about what we're doing, maybe gotten to the place where we're not thinking about what a privilege it is to serve you, but maybe it's become an obligation in our minds and in our hearts, and maybe we're a little bit, just a little bit grumpy about it. God, change us. Have your way with us. And I thank you for raising up men like Malachi who, Lord, they're not afraid to speak the truth. Thank you that we can read this off this page and let it, let it hit our hearts. And God, I pray that we would be a people who we don't just sing about loving you and sing about how great you are, but Lord, we would live that truth in our lives and that it would demonstrate to others the depth of our love and the depth of our grace or, or our, our, our desire to serve you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.